You're listening to Once, episode 235, Devil's Do. Welcome back to another episode of Once, the unofficial podcast for ABC's TV show, Once Upon a Time. I'm Daniel J. Lewis. I'm Jeremy Laughlin. I'm Jacqueline. What are you doing, Jeremy? Oh, I'm here! I'm back! (laughs) (laughs) He was playing with a little fireball there for a moment, so I was a little concerned. Yes, welcome back, Jeremy, from your travels, and welcome back to you listening to us right now. We really appreciate your listening. We've got some great conversation lined up for you. It's great to be back together again, and let's jump into discussing this episode, Devil's Do. If you want to follow along in the show notes or share this episode with your friends, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash 235. Let's start out, as we normally do, in the past. As they're gathering firewood we get to see Yun Bay, and of course, it can't be the same actor. The last time we saw Bay around that age was more than three years ago in the episode The Crocodile. So <laughs> they can't use the same actor. It's impossible. It would have been, well, it would have been possible, but it would have been awkward. True. Because this version of Bay is supposed to be just a little bit younger than the bay we see in the episode The Crocodile, which was season two, episode four. And he looks about that same age. So they're they're trying to match the age as close as possible. And I think these events do happen very close to the events that happen at the beginning of The Crocodile in the flashbacks. Most likely. Yeah, I agree. Well, we get to see Mila again for the first time in about three years as well. Yeah. I still don't like her. <laughs> do you think she kind of redeemed herself enough in this episode i liked a lot of the things she had to say i thought we'll talk about it a little bit later obviously her conversation with rumple i really liked some of the stuff she was saying to him and kind of being very self-aware about what she had done all those years ago as a mother still don't like her in the past though (laughs) definitely yeah but I will say I really liked this human moment between Rumple and Mila after they discovered that Balefire had been bitten by the snake. It felt very human to me because, you know, parents can be fighting and suddenly their child's in danger and all of that goes away and they're just really concerned for their kid. And so I kind of liked the look they shared between the two of them. Yeah. They were a team for a moment again. For a brief moment in time, yeah. Mila was the one who killed the snake. Yeah. <laughs> she like went all MacGyver on it and chopped its head off or something. But hey, Rumpel didn't cower and refused to even go near. Right. She kind of killed the snake and stuff while he was helping Balefire. It actually felt, I guess, in character for the two of them. Right. When they find Fendrake the healer, who, by the way, was played by Aaron Douglas, who is the chief from Battlestar Galactica, the 2004 version that is not the original Battlestar Galactica. And I mentioned in the initial reactions that that made me think that this was an episode. That's my new designation. It's a noun for episodes written by Jane Espenson. Nice. 
This was indeed an Espensode. (laughs) So I think that's why the dialogue was great. And we saw an actor that was also on Battlestar Galactica, as uh, Jane Espenson often likes to work with some mm-hmm. of those actors again yeah but apparently she doesn't like his face unless she had nothing to do with the <laughs> copious amount of face tattooing that had happened unless he just did that maybe that was just a life choice and not a character thing well i had a really hard time and a lot of us did this week trying to pinpoint what culture he was supposed to be representing hmm. um nevermore over at the forums called him culture appropriation joe <laughs> because <laughs> Because he kind of kept drawing from a lot of different things. His face tattoos looked more like Wode, um, like you would see in, I think, Ireland, Scottish Highlands of the Roman Empire. If you've ever seen Braveheart, you know that they did that, even though it's farther in the future from what I just said. (laughs) But he's also wearing, like, very traditional shamanism necklaces. And then he apparently lives in a Mongolian yurt. So... (laughs) It was like just this hodgepodge of all the different kinds of medicine man culture tropes that you would expect. He's an enchanted forest hippie. (laughs) And he sounds very American, too. (laughs) He does sound quite American. Definitely a hippie. (laughs) Was I the only one who felt relief when he said, it's a 24-hour poison? I was like... Oh, like the 24-hour flu. All this for nothing. They can just go home and be happy. He'll be Uh fine in 24 hours. He's like, he'll be dead. Oh, oh, you mean as opposed to like a 30-minute poison? Or the kinds of poison that we usually see, like from the Agrabah Viper, which is an instant poison. (laughs) True. Yeah, so it could have been worse. (laughs) Mila, though, she would be a murdering murder who murders. So why? Maybe she should just do it. She just wants other people to do her dirty work. At that particular moment, she seemed a little uh, like she might get along with Cora pretty well. Yeah. I thought it was kind of ironic that Rumple was scared of a dagger. <laughs> like Mila actually says, it's just a dagger, Rumple. Don't be scared of it. And I had a little chuckle. <laughs> well, yeah, he's he's like scared of anything. Not that could even hurt him, but just what things mean. He seems to be scared of at this point. He's been accused of being a coward and all of this he had his various reasons for running away from the war so i i can understand his being scared of the idea really and i think that part of mila choosing him to do this instead of her doing it herself is that she wants him to kind of redeem himself and get over this cowardness that he has i can see that but I, I kind of want to know how their currency works. So she spent an entire gold coin on this dagger, but they won't see a hundred gold coins in their entire life? Must be some dagger. Yeah. Or this one gold coin is all that they've had saved up. Why would you spend all your money on a dagger? Well, it, they don't have knives? <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. They're all dull butter knives. That's all they have back at home. <laughs> can't kill anyone with that i mean how about a rock i don't know <laughs> trying to save money on this potion didn't mila use like an axe to kill the snake <laughs> right yeah true <laughs> yeah an axe could have been sufficient 
But Rumpel didn't try to think too much about these things because <laughs> of that kiss. And that was a really interesting kiss because it seemed like there was some passion there. And it seemed like also she was con- trying to convince him with that kiss. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, she's like, this is what wives do before their husbands go off and be heroic. So and murder people. Maybe, <laughs> yeah, heroic. Maybe this is how it works. Maybe this will inspire him. I kind of thought it was a bribe. Like she, <laughs> she, she's not trying to encourage him so much as force him to do it by saying, you know, you have to do this thing if you love me and you love Balefire. Here's this one little push you need. You know, something that I'm going to go ahead and say she's probably been denying him for a while. Like, and that's going to happen for a lot longer too. <laughs> <laughs> right. So. I kind of thought of it as um, a manipulative bribe. And that could make sense because there is a very real thing here. And I'll keep this friendly um, that for wives, they want to see their husbands being manly and being fathers, being courageous. But speaking of, you know, courageous men and what Mila desires in one, suddenly Hook shows up. (laughs) Yeah. And here, Mila used the excuse of responsibilities. A very good excuse. More like her reason was responsibilities. That's why I can't go with you on this, what sounds absolutely romantic and adventurous journey. But look back at the episode, The Crocodile, when Mila was hanging out with Hook in the tavern. And when Rumpel came in, he said, you have responsibilities. Oh, So he used the same word, and what stood out most to Mila here is she said a son first, and then she said husband. Right. And back in the episode The Crocodile, when Rumpel said, you have responsibilities, she just, uh, she mocked him and said, what, to go fight in the war? And then when Bay showed up, that's what made her leave. So Bay is her connection, and that makes sense because that's her unfinished business too is all connected with Bay. Right. It was nice to see, even though her future actions weren't great <laughs> for her family, it was nice to see kind of a little bit more of a reasonable thing, reasonable, but seeing her being reasonable, I suppose, and not just going with it from the beginning and kind of see the circumstances that led her to be so desperate that she'd start spending all this time at the tavern and it wasn't just because she was spending a lot of time at the tavern that she met Hook. She was. So you're saying you think she was going to the tavern so that she could be with Hook more often? I think so. Yeah. Given what we saw in this episode. Yeah. She probably would have been at the tavern anyway, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> by the end. But And I think that this did happen very close to what we saw in The Crocodile. Mm-hmm. This is her reason for going or her inspiration, what happens in this episode. And based on Bay's age and other things, this happens has to happen very close to all of that. I think Keb said she was thinking about six months in between this and the crocodile. Yeah, that could make sense. Because Hook did say that he visits this port often. Which gets yeah. them out of any future timeline snafus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she probably went back and saw him at the tavern that evening. And then he decided, well, I'll see you again next time I'm around and whenever. 
number of weeks or months. And then they back and forth, back and forth. Because Rumpel knew where to go. Right. Back in the episode, The Crocodile, he knew where to go to find her. Yeah, that was pretty sad. (laughs) So Rumpel's convinced by a kiss to break into Finn Drake's and try and steal this potion. I mean, he's got like a curtain for a door, so... (laughs) (laughs) Actually, it's a door. And the rest of the hut is kind of a curtain. (laughs) It seemed odd that Finn Drake was so ready for death. Or did he already know Rumpel's character better than Rumpel did? I don't know. This this smorgasbord of culture is a little bit hard to read in Fendrake because he seems to be known as the healer and he talks about magic, but he's working with potions. He said, I could kill you with a single spell, but we never see him actually use magic. Right. And he seems both cool and terrible. He's kind of like, well, of course you can't, but he doesn't sound like, because you're a coward, he sounds like, because you're a good person, let's have tea. So your son means a lot to you. I'll totally give you the cure then, you know, if you give me your second born. Jerk move. <laughs> yeah. What I also question about his magicalness is his ability to live. Because when Rumpel goes to actually kill Fendrake later on in this episode in the flashbacks, that is at least 100 years later. Because that is when Rumpel is fully dark one and it's during that time of falling in, quote, oh, love, unquote, with Cora. Right. And we'll dig more into that when we talk about that scene in a little bit. So it does make me think Fendrake is partially magical, or maybe he just simply knows the recipes, and he knows how to create a potion that can slow his aging process. Huh, that could be. Even Bell was able to make a potion that they called a spell, I think, at one point. Yeah. Yeah, there's probably a big difference between potions, spells, and then the other kind of magic that you do. And hair magic and blood magic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and squidding. <laughs> there it is. I had to mention that for Jeremy because I knew he just, he wanted that said. <laughs> so I guess they stormed out pretty quickly or because I can't figure out why he didn't offer them this alternative payment method before. But what was with Rumpel and I don't know much about deals? How, how, what do you have to know? Someone says, you give me this, I give you this. That's, but I guess he really didn't because look at the deal he made. Yeah. How could you do that? Well, I mean, I guess since you don't, if you're promising something you don't know that you'll ever have to save somebody that you do, I guess I could see it. And he probably thought, ha ha ha, I'm tricking him. I'll never have to right. pay him because... <laughs> I'm never going to have a second baby. That's kind of obvious. One of the things I liked most about this episode is that it took Rumpel's story and it recentered it back on the idea of him being a father who will literally do anything for his child. Mm-hmm. Um, we see that in past and we see it in present. And in the past, oftentimes the show lately tends to forget about Balefire and it kind of makes Rumpel's motivations all about power or greed or his lust for magic. And while that's certainly an aspect of his character, his strongest aspect has always been that he's a father who will destroy the entire world if he has to, to get to his son. And so this idea of trading his second born child to save his first, to me, it did feel pretty natural. I mean, it's a horrible, terrible, no good deal. And I really don't like what he did to Mila and kind of denying her agency and 
denying her even a say in any of this. But I thought it fit Rumpel's motivations pretty well from what we've seen. Yeah. And Fendrake knew how to recognize a desperate soul. I was going to say the exact same thing. It's that was also a Jane Espenson episode back in season one, or an Espenson, an, an Espenson <laughs> back in season one. Yes, I, as as much as I was against this season's story arc before it started, and as strange as it is being in it, it feels way more committed to who the characters are supposed to be and what the overall story arc of the show is supposed to be than the last story arc. Certainly. In fact, even when we run into little things that feel like continuity problems so far this year, the problem lies in the beginning of the season, not in this part. (laughs) Hmm. Interesting. So it might be, we may find that the whole Dark Swan era, for me, is another sealed story. Like... Season two. <laughs> <laughs> so Rumpel comes home with the potion. And when we learned that the healer wanted a child, I like, and this is probably a very good suggestion here. Doxon said maybe an age slowing spell requires a second born child. We've seen children being requirements of spells or potions or that kind of thing before. So yeah, I could see that being the case here too. And not that he simply just wanted Rumpel's second child, but maybe it was a means to be able to stay young. Interesting. That, and, and creepy. Especially if oh. you're talking like an ingredient. <laughs> That's what babies are in this show. They are either the answer to everything <laughs> or the secret ingredient. Which is kind of the same thing if you really think about it. Yeah, but at least with Zelina, it was more like a catalyst. The baby wasn't sort of consumed by the spell. Right, right. (laughs) I can't believe I said those words. Uh, (laughs) Don't you think this whole deal that Rumpel made with him puts everything that came later or before, depending on the timeline, in a different light? Because Rumpel made a lot of deals. I mean, that's what Rumpelstiltskin does, even... Uh, before once upon a time he makes deals involving children yeah yeah it felt actually a lot like not only the the cora deal that was made between rumple and cora but also just the original rumpelstiltskin story so i kind of like that they did bring that in as well and stargate once mentioned a quotation from regina mills from one of the past episodes the amount of spells that require baby parts would surprise you. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. That's... Yeah, so we do know that's a thing. We should take a closer look at Fendrake's yurt and see if there are like any dangling baby feet or something. That's... No, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> if they put that in there, I don't want to know. <laughs> I mean, the chicken is enough. <laughs> so I thought it was kind of brave, though. For Rumple to not kill him. If his motives were really... You know, he started telling this tale to Mila of why he didn't do it. Yeah. If that's really what was in his head, then he was being kind of brave. Or at least noble. Because he didn't want his son to grow up with a murderer for a father. But 
I'm not sure if that's really what was in his head when he right. didn't do it. Now, we're not saying that murdering someone would have been brave. No, of course or not. Or courageous or anything like that. So we're not that's endorsing That's Mila murder. logic. Yeah. <laughs> but he does try and spin what was still, I think it looked like it was cowardice still. And he tried to spin it into, I did something even better. I was more brave or more courageous or cunning. And yeah, Mila had set it up as though the brave thing to do and the courageous thing to do would have been to kill in order to save their son, which of course is ridiculous, but that's kind of what he was operating under. So then to not do it, it's just interesting to see maybe he was being noble or courageous in that. What is the other solution here, though? This is always something when I look at Rumpel's character throughout all five seasons that I always come back to is if Rumpel and his kind of archetypical glory is just the father searching for his lost child. Where do we draw a line for what a parent would do? And I've had this fight with so many people over the years about what Rumpel did, you know, back in season one and all the machinations he enacted. And this is, to me, a lot like that, where he has made a deal that, yes, I don't like what it meant for Mila, but at the same time, I ask myself, but what wouldn't a parent do? And if your option is to save your only child who means the world to you and give up a child that doesn't even exist yet, I mean, mm-hmm. is that a deal that you feel as a parent comfortable making? Seemed like the best option if you're going right. to be moral and, about it. And the Well, the other option is to kill him, is to kill Fendrake. And that's clearly not morally gray. Right? I mean, we couldn't we all right. agree that murder is wrong? <laughs> right, right. It wasn't even self-defense. It wasn't like he had poisoned right. Balefire. Or that he was a threat mm-hmm. to Balefire. Right. This would be premeditated, thought-out murder. And so when you're in that situation, you know, I ask myself, what else is Rumpel supposed to do? Like, I can see the rationalization for why he agreed to what he agreed to. And there wasn't much time left. Yeah, they had wasted a lot of time. Right. Yeah, I, I suppose the only alternative to that would have been sort of the lesser questionable decision of trying to just steal the antidote and then really look around the place. Would he ever have noticed it was gone? <laughs> <laughs> but if he did, he would have come after them anyway, potentially. He he was threatening enough, I suppose. And Fendrake didn't really seem like the greedy, cunning type. Not like Zoso did previously, you know, where Zoso was manipulating Rumpel to convince him to do this thing. And I don't see that in in Fendrake. It seemed like Fendrake wanted to help, but then he had this massively high price. Right. Yeah. I guess I kind of question what is he doing with these children that he is so desirous of a second born? I mean, is it just wanting to see how far he can push Rumpel for his own amusement or is there something else? You know, that could be it. And I'm not going to call Fendrake God here. There is an event recorded in the Bible of God telling Abraham, sacrifice your firstborn son, your only son, the one you love. <laughs> I don't know if I'd put these two things in the and, same. Um, the way, spoiler alert, by the way, the way the, the account goes <laughs> is that Abraham takes Isaac up and is holding up the knife to kill Isaac, his son his only son, that he was a miracle baby to begin with, and they'd waited years, dozens, 
uh, tens of years um, <laughs> to have this baby. And he's holding up the knife about to kill his son, Isaac. That's when God stopped Abraham and said, don't do it. And it wasn't like this God wanted to see if he would. It was uh, God brought him to this point, but stopped him from actually finishing it. Maybe Fendrake was sort of thinking something similar where he wanted to see, is Rumpel that desperate? But they went through with the deal. Yeah. And it seemed like when Fendrake shows up in the underworld, Fendrake looked all like angry or something. At and didn't Rumpel. get any more lines, as I recall. Yeah. <laughs> he was just kind of a puppet now. I like the different perspective, though, that we get to see in this relationship between Rumpel and Mila. And DeAndre said it this way. For a long time, we've always seen Mila as evil or selfish for leaving Rumpelstiltskin and abandoning Balefire to live on the high seas and be in an exclusive relationship with Hook. But this episode showed her side of the story as to why she was so unhappy and why she chose to initially seek out Hook. And this is one of the reasons why I love Once is because they dispel what we think is good and evil in these fairy tales and make the characters well-rounded and more like us. And though I still don't agree with what she has done, to see that initial push she got to go with Killian was because Rumpel took away her right to have more children and be a mother was brilliant. And I'm falling in love with once all over again. <laughs> so that's an interesting feedback. And I kind of disagree. I think this might be a step too far. So I was always 100% okay with the idea that Mila was just selfish, that she was so consumed by her own misery that she decided her happiness was more important than staying with her child. And, you know, Rumpel has taken away her right to be a mother again, but she's still a mother. There is still a, what, six-year-old boy at home? She still has those responsibilities. And this new deal for me, it vilifies peasant Rumpel by making him someone who does take away Mila's agency, something we've never suspected, something that's never really been hinted at, something that is a story we didn't necessarily need because we had all our information. Mila was upset that Rumpel was a, quote, coward. She grew to despise him. She decided to go away with a man who she saw as courageous and manly and a fighter. That's kind of all the story I needed. This places all that blame on Rumpel instead of on Mila's very selfish choices. And I'm kind of like, eh, about it. Okay, yeah, I see what mm. you're saying. Yeah, I, I don't think that's necessarily what DeAndre is saying. But uh, yeah, I agree. The blame isn't on Rup Rumpel. The blame is on Mila. She's the one who chose to leave. She could have chosen to stay. This wasn't like it was an abusive relationship. It was just things weren't optimal. She discovered Rumpel has problems and <laughs> she could have loved him kissed you know with enough more kisses maybe he would have been more courageous she just needed to give him some more kisses that's that's, that's the, point the there. recipe yeah um, dance with your wife Rumpel even though you have only one good leg <laughs> dance with your wife yeah I I can see what you mean it doesn't I suppose bother me as much as some other retconish story changes but, yeah, I, the more I think about it, I could go either way on that, I think. I think what could have happened if this whole thing didn't happen, as we saw in this episode, Mila probably still would have gone with Hook 
right maybe just a little bit later than she actually did right also though why didn't they just move away and have a child somewhere else it's not like they could hire you know a private eye or search them out online i mean fendrake would just be like huh wonder what happened to those people (laughs) well we've actually had over the years, a lot of conversation in the forums about the society of the Enchanted Forest as it relates to kind of medieval Europe. Because that's what you do when you are at once podcast forums, guys. So I want you to come join. <laughs> um, and a lot of people over the years have brought up this idea that when you are in a peasant situation and when you are as poor as Rumpel and Mila appear to be, you really don't have the option to pick up and move. I think this is something we take for granted nowadays in our 21st Mm -hmm. century lifestyles is we can just move. It may not be easy, but we have the ability to do it. They don't. And so, you know, that is something that once has always kind of done beautifully is with Mila, she really is stuck. We don't know if there is an option for divorce. Probably not, given what time frame Once Upon a Time has placed the Enchanted Forest And they don't really have the ability to pack up and move, especially if he's the town spinner and every town has a spinner. He can't just go and set up another shop and Mm. create capitalism. And that goes along very nicely with what happened in the episode The Crocodile, which I rewatched a lot of the episode The Crocodile to get some more context to this. And in that episode, Mila also said to Rumpel, why can't we just move? So that you're not known as the town coward. We can move somewhere, go somewhere else, get a new start, and you won't have this reputation following you around. And Rumpel didn't actually move until much later after Mila was gone when they were fleeing from uh, the soldiers recruiting all of the children. Rumpel tried to flee and went to a different village, but still the soldiers found him. Interesting. Yeah, I guess he couldn't have gone too far too fast and then there would still be that question of how do they make a living somewhere where they're not known how do they have a place to live it's not like you can just go buy a new hovel yeah you gotta get a realtor apparently and list your (laughs) house on uh, EFLS the Enchanted Forest Listing Service wow (laughs) (laughs) so jump forward uh, probably a hundred ish or more years Go to oncepodcast.com slash timeline, where Keb mm-hmm. manages that beautiful timeline to really see how big of a jump this is. But this instance, this incident is happening right between a couple scenes from the episode, The Miller's Daughter. And Let they we- were kind enough to define that for us. Yeah. <laughs> Kev was probably like, oh, thank you so much. And they were like, hey, guys, we, even, uh, we thought about the timeline. So I went back and rewatched some of the Miller's daughter, and this fits in from where Rumple pops up and Cora is trying on her wedding gown, and that's when she said, "You know, brides are supposed to be Snow White," and the whole <laughs> irony thing there. And that's when Rumple says to her, "How about I amend our contract? I won't have just any firstborn baby. You'll give me my firstborn." And they had this whole plan. And he was saying, I can give you magic and power and darkness and stuff. And then she's like, and love. And he's like, yes, and and love, <laughs> uh, which is very Fiddler on the Roof, by the way. But 
then they make this agreement that, okay, it will be Rumpel's firstborn that Cora will give him as this price for his showing her how to use magic. And he was thinking that firstborn is going to be the baby who will cast the curse for me because he can see the future. That's why he wanted Cora's firstborn is to have that be Regina who casts the curse for Rumpel. So they make this agreement in the episode, The Miller's Daughter, and then semi-retcon, but not necessarily because they're not really changing things. They're just squeezing in something. Then he realizes there's this contract on my head that I owe my second child to Fendrake. So he goes off, he kills Fendrake, then he comes back and meets Cora, where Cora, though, has decided instead of pulling out the king's heart and crushing it, she pulled out her own heart and then tells Rumpel, I can't go with you. And then she goes back uh... to the prince and then she has a baby and says her name is Regina for she will be queen. Aha. And really with Rumpel's nature, it kind of makes sense that he's poofing here and poofing there and doing all of his dealings and some of them we just don't know about. Right. So that potentially baby-making liaison didn't <laughs> actually happen. <gasps> Score! <laughs> okay, keep going. I'm going to tell you why I'm really excited about that in a minute. Okay. Uh, so the one tiny little continuity error is Rumpel wasn't dressed exactly the same from the episode The Miller's Daughter and when he went to kill Fendrick. The primary difference is this thing he's wearing around his neck it's like on a very elaborate necklace that probably huh. Jacqueline would love to have <laughs> yes. but um it, it i think it all fits in nicely and in fact you could even say if you went back and rewatch the miller's daughter you see rumple waiting for cora in the forest and he has this extremely contemplative look on his face and you could even say <laughs> that that contemplative look was thinking about what he just did of killing Fendrick. Oh, now, yeah, if he cares. They probably had none of this planned no. back then. No. But we can go back and say, look, he's thinking about it. <laughs> he's such a good actor. He can he even really fit in potential retcon <laughs> dovetail moments. He can see the future. So he knows right. what the writers were going to fit in between scenes for him. <laughs> Jacqueline, what's your special thing? Okay, so for about three to three and a half years now, Wicked Regal and I have been fighting over whether or not Cora and Rumple ever had relations. Mm. <laughs> Come up often, does it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm guessing during the hiatus, because that sounds like a hiatus conversation. <laughs> You should spend more time at the forums, Daniel. Um, so, yeah, for about three and a half years, we've been fighting over this. And on Sunday <laughs> night, she demanded cookies because she thought Whoa. she won. I don't think and so. I don't think so. I'm going to go with you. So I want my cookies back. <laughs> yeah, because of how this fits in. It, it Rumpel wasn't <laughs> even talking about Cora having his baby until they made that deal. Then he went off, killed Fendrick, and then he came back, but Cora had changed her mind by then. And she's all like, uh-uh-uh, love is weakness. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, 
No relations going on there. <laughs> Quotes from once podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I want to take this moment to thank our wonderful sponsors who are heroes to this episode. And our sponsors are you. You make this podcast possible. You keep it going episode after episode, and we could not do this podcast without you. So for this episode, I want to thank Lisa Slack, David Newland, and our 28 heroes on Patreon. Thank you very much for your kind support donating to the podcast. It could be as little as a dollar per month. It could be more than that. And we do have 28 patrons on Patreon supporting us uh, episode after episode, month after month, and we really, really appreciate that. And we've gotten back to sharing special content to our supporters through Patreon. So if you support us through Patreon, go to onespodcast.com slash hero to find out how you can do that. You get access to our unedited episodes before we publish them as a podcast, sometimes an entire day before they're available as a podcast version. Or you can simply watch the unedited version so you can see, oh, you know, that's where they messed up there and there and that kind of thing. But that's not all. <laughs> you also get a bloopers clip. So we've gotten back to editing bloopers and saving those as a separate file. And we upload them for our heroes on Patreon to access. So you can listen to those bloopers and enjoy those. Do co-hosts get to access those? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and Erin asked me the same question. In fact, she said she wanted to hear the bloopers too. And, but wait, there's more. You'll also <laughs> get access to the spoilers before the main episode comes out. So if you really want to have your spoiler fix before the episode of the podcast comes out, usually then on Wednesday evenings, we'll have that spoilers clip published before we even record the episode of One's Podcast. Wow. So you can listen to the spoilers before downloading the complete episode from our podcast. It's a great way to support the podcast and get that extra cool stuff. And there will be more things that we'll be doing in the future too. So if you want to be a hero and have access to that fun stuff or just simply support the podcast, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Let's move on to talking about present day Underbrook. Underbrook. I think that's an appropriate title for it. It's fewer words than <laughs> the underworld. The underworld version of Storybrook. <laughs> So we, we have the river, the river of lost souls. This is the river of lost souls. Touch it and it will make you lost. Reducing you to a mindless, tormented husk. Yup. So what is flying slash swimming around in the river if people can come out of it and be a husk? Or does that all happen kind of together? I think it all happens together. See, I don't. And here's the reason. <laughs> because I think we're going to see Mila in that state. Oh. I don't know. Now, Jacqueline, you're a mm. Greek mythology expert. So tell it's me It's a shame more. there's no Greek mythology here then. <laughs> 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 well, yeah. you're our mindless, tormented husk <laughs> expert then. Thanks. <laughs> Okay, so there is no river of lost souls in Greek mythology. However, mm. after some careful consideration and conversation, we thought we came up with two rivers that it could potentially be, and I'm definitely leaning more toward one than the other. It's 
either Styx or the River Lathe. Styx is shown in the Disney film. It's the one that you're traveling down. And it has all the souls trapped in it. Um, and you see them, like, clawing at Hades in the Disney film. And that's actually kind of a relatively normal depiction of the River Styx in a lot of iconic pictures and such. However, when he says that you will become a mindless husk, that's very much Lathe without the mindless husk. I wouldn't say that's what happens exactly. But Lathe in Greek means unmindfulness or oblivion. And what it does is it removes your memories and makes you forget who you are so you won't remember your past lives. It's not necessarily a bad thing in Greek mythology, and nor is it a bad thing in some Christian interpretations like in Dante, where you are bathed in the river in purgatory and then you end up going up to heaven so you don't have the burden of your past sins weighing you down. Here, it's not exactly happy, but I'm leaning more toward the river Lathe. Hmm. Interesting. So there is Greek mythology, sort of. Yes. Sort of. I I wish that yes, as inspiration. I wish they had actually named the river because I was really excited when I saw those five rivers in the underworld back in the first episode of this arc. So I kind of wish they had actually said, "This is the river Lathe, and this is what it will do." Like I, I I'd be like, okay, it's a once upon a time spin, but at least the classic Greek mythology is there somewhat. Okay. So then with that in mind, do you think it's even possible for someone to come out of that? Is Mila gone forever? Yes. Ugh, that would be, that's so awful. So she's not even gone on to a better place because she had any kind of resolution. No, I think you are just swimming in that river for all of time now. I mean, I I don't think we're going to see her unless Emma as the savior does a thing. Like I can see her (laughs) ability and cosmological significance as the savior being able to do something to rescue Mila. But I don't think it's like Mila's going to pop up all of a sudden and interact with anybody. I think it has to be because of Emma at this point. Now, uh, Matthew Paul pointed out that we do have the names of a couple of the rivers. It's not sticks because the rivers are actually named We just haven't seen this from the right angle yet. So I'll have a screenshot in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 235. But when Hades is taking Hook to the Green River, in the background, it's very faint, but you can see two other rivers. You can see the White River and the Blue River. And the Blue River, over the arch, it has the label Styx. Oh. Over the White River, it has Cockatus. Yeah. Okay. That's... Good to know. <laughs> so at least we know this one isn't sticks. So that makes me think it is a lathe. So speaking of things seen in that little hangout of his, have you gone through and looked at all of the objects we can see? He's got a big grandfather clock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he seems vaguely interested, if not obsessed, with some form of time, since he doesn't really like the ticking of the clock. Maybe that's why he knocked it into the street, but he just can't stop it. And he's got that clock and I couldn't, you know, obviously I don't know if it was moving or not or if it represents the same time as the Storybrooke clock. And he's got some banners. One of them looks like Cerberus. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did notice that one. Yeah, he has two emblems that he uses on the flag. One is 
yeah, it's definitely Cerberus. It's the three-headed dog. And then the other looks like the classic devil's pitchfork. Oh, awkward. Two of them, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's just a joke for him or... <laughs> I Well, you know what? It may be. And keep that in mind because there was something in Hades's possession that I'm going to talk about towards the very end that I think he's reading for fun. So I think it's kind of a joke to him at this point. Hmm. But I'll have to talk about it at the very, very end of the episode because it's at the end of the episode. All right. Well, all right then. Meanwhile, Rumple is in his shop creating – well, it is his shop now because Pan is gone. <laughs> because Pan's letter was basically, dear son, I can't appear in every episode, so here's my slash your shop and all the things in it that I basically said you'd never get to unless I let you have them. It does make me wonder where did Pan go? Yeah. And will he return he as maybe the hero to help everyone out? Not the hero. He went nope. to his trailer to await his next episode and or to the <laughs> set of another show. But I think he'll be back. That was too ominous about wanting to take the place of somebody who's not returning. Uh. So we'll see him again, I think. But um, he's not going to be a hero. <laughs> he's just going to interfere. Yeah, I can't see Pan being a hero. He doesn't appear to have learned anything. Not at any point ever. Yeah. Well, we haven't really seen him learn things. He has already done now two things that seem like gestures of goodwill. Yeah. But... He gave that uh, potion to Rumple, and now he's given the whole shop over to Rumple. Manipulation. Yeah, that's true too. It could be that. No, even eye twitch that looked like contrition. <laughs> So Rumpel makes this crystal ball and should have made we, it out of something else. We are led to believe that this is Rumpel's jealousy, but when you rewatch the episode, then you can see full well how he would be so concerned and what he's actually thinking. He's not jealous that Belle is falling for Leroy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did so much so absurd is that that I didn't even think I didn't even notice she was with Leroy the first time I watched it. And then the second time, I was watching more closely to see what he saw, which, yeah. So, do you think he was thinking, show me my child? Or do you think he was thinking more specifically, show me my son? Son. Oh. Oh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Because, I mean, that's all he had that he knew of. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, two things, sort of jumping-ish through a connection Clearly, somehow, Hades was watching him. Yeah. Construct the thing, see the thing, drop the thing. So that's creepy. Don't know how he does that specifically. I don't think he's all knowing. Right. I don't think Hades can see everything that's going on in Underbrook. Maybe he was just lurking. Yeah. And literally watching with his own eyes. Could be. But then the other thing, he said that Belle doesn't know she's pregnant yet. Did we know for sure or did we just guess so hard that she was pregnant that (laughs) i can't remember from the end of well we didn't know for sure yeah we didn't know for sure and we've been theorizing for years that rumple and bell would someday have a baby and get to start over and then when emily duravin got pregnant yes and recently now she's given birth so congratulations emily (laughs) And uh, when that happened, I felt like, okay, this is a done deal. They're going 
to bring this into the show, just like they did with Jennifer Goodwin's pregnancy. Right. They're going to bring this into the show and make Belle pregnant. But we had been theorizing even before then that that would really make things interesting. And now it's making things even more interesting because there's a lot more resting on this. Not that the baby is necessarily being marked as mm-hmm. you know, the product of, tr- of true love or a magical baby or right. we don't know anything about the baby yet what is interesting now is the circumstance outside of we the baby just assumed that it was true because they made such an awkward point <laughs> of certain things at the end of right the winter yeah mm-hmm. so a couple people thought that maybe this new baby might be a representation of persephone if the baby is born and sort of is owed to Hades now. Um, is it possible that the baby's going to, when it grows up, I guess, spend half its life in the underworld and half in real Storybrooke? Mm-hmm. I mean, it would it would be something the writers would do to Belle, would be to turn her into the tragic mother figure who has to give <laughs> up her child for six months out of the year. Oh, my gosh. That would be interesting. Does that mean Rumpel's actually going to stay in the underworld this time? So it'd be like visitation. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Did you guys notice the pan pipes? Yeah. And weren't those the same uh, pipes that Pan used that Henry couldn't hear until Henry felt like an orphan? Yes. Um, Slurpees has a theory she says it's maybe an out there theory, but she wonders if Pan's pipes can be used to rescue the lost souls from what I'm assuming is the River Lathe. Yes, you're right. Pam used it on his lost boys, so it might work on lost souls. Oh, yeah. Kind of the Pied Piper sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you can call these lost people to you. Creepy. Uh, and I wasn't even thinking about it from that perspective. I don't want a bunch of mindless husks following me. <laughs> So Pan could be the hero that the Underbrook deserves or needs, whichever one. Uh, Pan. I mean, they have to be used for a reason. There are giant Chekhov's Pan pipes, as once upon a time Rando Thoughts put it. They're this, they're this thing now that we have been very clearly made aware of. They're going to come into play. Possibly some of the people who were killed by Regina specifically and Rumple in the first episode or two of this season, they would sort of do a lingering shot like, look, they've been killed by one of the people that are main cast members. And I just feel that we will see them in the underworld, even if we haven't already. The Jester comes to mind. One of them we already have a lot, but... And hmm. speaking of having a lot, they had a lot to clean up back at Mary Margaret's... Or, I'm sorry, Snow White's place. So here's the thing. If you're in a copy of your place in a place that isn't the real world, do you bother cleaning it up? (laughs) That's a good question. Well, David, we better clean up. I mean, we're going to have to spend some time here if we die with any unfinished business. (laughs) Assuming we ever even get back to the real world. Actually, I'm not so sure they were cleaning up at all as much as looking for weapons or something they could use. Uh, yeah, Robin comes downstairs and says, you do not want to see what that hell dog did upstairs. And I was thinking that's anybody with a new feisty puppy. <laughs> yep. I love the way Emma put this. 
It just perfectly sums up where we are now with this season. And by the way, a little teaser here. This upcoming summer hiatus, we're going to do a game show. With we are? Our, yeah, with our <laughs> former co-host, Dan Flynn. We are? Yeah. <laughs> and it'll be a lot of fun, but certain things like this will come up. Here's what Emma said. Okay, so how do we get a helpful dead person to loan their aura so we can confront the god of the underworld himself? <laughs> it is the most gibberish thing to ever be uttered on this show and it was hilarious it was great <laughs> like how does rumble even know how to extend an aura or that you need someone to be extended i mean did he do something similar the last time he was there in the underworld because he's clearly never met hades until now right so how I'm- does he know that this is the thing that we must do I have many questions about his time previously in the underworld because he didn't seem to have met Mila before, even though she stands in the middle of Main Street on a regular (laughs) basis. He's never met Hades. He knows how to navigate with living people who, when did they get to the underworld while he was there? So, yes, I have questions. Well, when Rempel went to the underworld before, all of the other Dark Ones were there, too. So he probably just hung out with them. They probably have their own <laughs> little dark one camp. Bring <laughs> them away. How's it going? Hey, Zoso. Sorry about stabbing you. But did thanks did for they the hang power. out with the giant pig? <laughs> they seem like a really dull group. I can see him getting kind of bored with them. Oh, and had he not met his father there, too? Like... Right. Wait. Awkward. They went there at the same time, did they not? True. Yeah. So then, hmm, maybe they had seen each other and, but, you know, obviously gold shop is gold shop until gold isn't there anymore. Right. Yeah. So Pan could have taken over the shop. And when you look back at when Rumpel and Pan met in the underworld in this season, nothing really indicates that this is their first time meeting in the underworld. And maybe he just spent all his time under one of those steaming cones. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. When they find Mila in the underbrook, um, for one thing, it's crazy to realize that all of these kids are on their way to school. (laughs) Yes. So there's actually an education system in the, in the underworld. Or it's they like, just sit there and listen to the same lesson over and over yeah. and over again. Continuing education credits. It's kind of like after school classes, except after death classes. <laughs> <laughs> Get your degree in the afterlife. So they don't age. So they go to school every day because they, I guess, died as kids. It's getting awful. And <laughs> they're all like... Are you sure this isn't the worst place? The most likely villagers that Regina killed, because remember, she's killed a lot of villagers. Not only (laughs) did Hades mention that Regina was a great supplier, but we've seen her kill an entire village. It's true. And I couldn't help but think that Henry could have been among those children had Rumpel gotten his way at one point in time. Yeah, that's true. So this is my question, and I actually asked it about Mila, but it applies to the children as well. If these are all villagers from the Enchanted Forest who have died, either, I don't know, because of Regina or because of Rumpel or because of the lack of sanitation and flowing water or whatever, (laughs) um, 
<laughs> dysentery. <laughs> dysentery, yes. Like, when they wake up in the underworld and they're dressed like we are and there are cars and cheeseburgers, how do they feel about these things? I mean, what do you, how do you explain this to them, hmm. p- these people who have been in the Enchanted Forest their entire lives? Well, it's probably inherited knowledge because of the similarities between the Dark Curse and Underbrook. Right. So we're back to the Dark Curse and the fact that I am really, really on board this idea that Hades created it. Yeah. Because there's no other way to explain it other than the fact that these people are basically living in the Dark Curse. Right. Right. I just thought it was more evidence that points toward Hades. Yep. I I totally agree. When back season one, Blue mentioned a magic that didn't belong in the Enchanted Forest or wasn't from there. Was she talk? I can't remember now. Was she talking about the Dark One magic or was she? Okay. So she wasn't talking about the curse specifically. And the Dark One magic came originally from the chalice on that stone. Right. That was at least what they said is that it came from the gods. Hmm. But we don't know. And Hades is considered one of the gods. So maybe that chalice he is, was from he is considered a the underworld They keep calling well. him that. Oh, I would say more likely, <laughs> knowing nothing about actual Greek mythology, I would say for the context of this show, it would be more likely it was from Olympus. And it was corrupted, much like I would assume Hades himself is. True, because Nimue turned dark because of her choice, right. because of the darkness that was in her. Merlin didn't. Right. And then back to the lower level of Underbrook. <laughs> They're going into this place that I'm going to call this the land without hope. Because we have the land without magic, the land without color. Now we have the land without hope is this little <laughs> area down there. And of course, there's a pentagram down there. The pentagram, and that's if you make a five-pointed star with the lines in it and leave those lines unfilled in. That's a pentagram. And the pentagram has been used in many places through the centuries. And it's represented both good and evil. And specifically, I mean, this one could be viewed from any angle, but they were showing it upside down. Exactly. And it's the upside down orientation that's considered to be the evil orientation of it. Whereas right side up is there's the good deity at the top and then uh, the, the rule down. And when we first saw it here... As Hades is hanging up Hook, we see the pentagram upside down, as well as when we see it again later when Emma goes in to save Hook. It's also basically from an upside down angle there. Yes. So the pentagram, one of the references that I remember from reading some very old literature is from Goethe's Faust. And I'm going to be keep talking about Faust now throughout the podcast. Um, and there was a pentagram that was used to trap the demon Mephistopheles. Um, he basically wasn't able to leave a room because he was trapped in this pentagram. So it definitely has got some occultist significance, even if it didn't like start off that way. When you drew a pentagram way, way back in the day, it wasn't because you were trying to do something evilly. <laughs> Yeah, and I know that there are still uh, religious groups that use the pentagram that aren't what we would generally call evil. And evil signs. And speaking of signs, right outside of this land without hope, the reason I call it the land without hope 
is because of the sign that says, Abandon all hope, ye who interfere. Which is a reference to... Dante! Dante! <laughs> I love Dante. I'm very enthusiastic about Dante. So. <laughs> Evidently. <laughs> the Inferno is probably one of my favorite things that I've ever read. I've read it probably four or five times at this point. It's from Canto number three. And it's the inscription above the gates of hell which is through me you pass into the city of woe through me you pass into eternal pain through me among the people lost for i justice the founder of my fabric moved to rear me was the task of power divine supremest wisdom and primeval love before me things create were none save things eternal and internal i adore all hope abandon ye who enter here hmm. So everybody is screwed, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But other than this pentagram place in the middle, there wasn't necessarily anything hope abandoning about this place that I could tell. It's like, does this cavern really exist to lower people ominously into this place (laughs) where they'll forget that ever happened? That's strange. Because that river is flowing all over the place. You could just toss someone in anywhere. It doesn't have to be in that room. Yeah, so what's that is a good question. It kind of brings up what exactly is Hades' motivation here? Because we had Korra in the first episode of this arc seemingly working for him, trying to get everybody to leave. And now he wants them to stay? Yeah, he said... Well, I'll I'll just play this for you. You have interfered with my carefully cultivated existence. (laughs) Carefully cultivated. So he has manipulated, he's cultivated this, he has grown this to be exactly what he wants it to be. He gets to have his manicured hands and toes and feet and and drinks his wine and he has this nice little palace with this babbling brook all around or five babbling brooks he's that fancy so he (laughs) has engineered this to be exactly what he wants it to be but he sees hope which is the core theme of the tv show once upon a time he sees that as contraband and strictly forbidden i think he said at some point not in this episode, that he had changed his plan, that he had started out planning to just let everybody, try to get everybody to leave, but now he had different plans. Everybody meaning our heroes. Correct. Yeah. Yes. Everybody who had come without dying. Because they have hope, they represent hope, but if they can't escape, then they have no hope. So I think he's trying to kill their hope. Do you think he can really send people back? I think so. He said yes. that he could wave his hand and Rumple would be home. So if he wanted everybody to leave, why didn't he just send them home? Maybe someone has to be willing to leave. Maybe. Like to get on the boat that would take them out. That's the thing. It sounded like getting on the boat to leave was a willful decision. Could be. And maybe he's also a liar. Well, yeah, that's, that's not unreasonable at this point. Back up top, we get to see this wonderfully awkward meeting between <laughs> Emma and Mila. And in a way, at first I thought maybe Mila knew who Emma was to some level because of the way that she said her yeah, in a disbelieving way. Or maybe it was just that she looked at Emma and she's like, some blonde? No, <laughs> no, she's not going to be the one to help us. This was the best exchange 
in two years. You've been with my former lover and my son. Is that right? Huh. (laughs) (laughs) So that's who you are to me. Uh, Well, it, uh, yeah. And it's weirder than that because she's also, (laughs) she's also the mother of Mila's grandson. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) So there's that. I thought Rumpel's description of her relationship with Neil, though, was a very non-slash-anti-shipper perspective. (laughs) (laughs) The tort affair, the baby in jail. (laughs) It's like any way Rumpel could spin it to attack Emma. (laughs) He says all of it, and you just go... That was terrible, and he's not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) This was a bit of vindication, though, for some of us. Um, This has been a fight in the fandom for years over whether or not Emma knew the relationship between Hook, Mila, and Neil Fire. Like, a lot of people just assumed that Emma had been told off screen and that she was okay with it. We didn't need to bring it up. And a lot of the other side of this wonderful love triangle said, no, no, Emma doesn't know because if she did know, it would give her a certain amount of pause. (laughs) And So it is nice to know that, no, she did not know. Yeah, because she did get that certain amount of pause. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because if things had played out differently, Hook could have practically been Neil's stepfather. Well, I mean, he. we don't know how long uh, Balefire was on the Jolly Roger. Right. I mean, Hook did play a, a role in raising Balefire for some amount of time. Right. They were obviously close. Hook's final words to Neil in episode 315 are, you know, that, boy's that, I, that boy that I helped raise all that time ago. Right. So <laughs> he, he did kind of consider him to be like a son. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Hashtag family tree is really messed up, yeah, guys. Yeah, it's actually one of the more uncomfortable parts of the family tree. <laughs> and I repeat. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the show's adding to our soundboard again. This is wonderful. <laughs> uh. So we learned from Cruella that magic's a little tricky down here, which reminds me of the original season two when Rumpelstiltskin brought magic and it was a little bit unpredictable in Storybrooke at that time. But why? And for whom? Because Hades doesn't seem to have any problems. Right. And neither does Rumpel. I assume it feels different. <laughs> like, because uh, it seemed like once Regina had tapped into the right thing, she got it. Yeah. We also saw Emma use magic and Emma poofed everyone away to exactly where Emma was thinking of. Right. So it seems to be Regina only who is struggling a little bit. As she does. She struggled when Rumpel brought magic. You know, she did have to turn to the, the book of spells and sniff the words off the page. Yeah, the squid ink. Right. And create a small <laughs> hint that one day she would be the Wicked Witch of the West. And maybe this is why. Because she is not magic born. She learned magic. Oh, maybe. Emma... Neither is Rumpel. Well, no, but Rumpel was infused with magic. 
I'll he's say. not rump- he's not magic born. He didn't learn magic. He he wears it now because he became the <laughs> I think dark it's one. wearing him. <laughs> and same thing for Emma for a time, although she is technically still a dark one because she could hear the dagger calling to her. So maybe that's why she's able to use her magic. But her uh, poofs are white. It's got to be a better way to say that. <laughs> No, there's no better way. We're on season five. There's no better way to say that. I mean, they, they're they even saying they, the gates of hell are in my house. <laughs> but Emma has magic because she's the product of true love and because she's the savior. So she was magic born. Right. Yep. But we haven't seen Cruella use magic. That's true, but she didn't really have super useful magic. Yeah. Unless Cruella is the one who put the magic around the mayor's office. And that reminds me, though, Cora did have magic, and Cora was not magic-born. That is true. Uh, she's been down there for a while, and she was Hades' lackey, so maybe Hades gave her magic or allowed her to use magic. I don't recall Cruella being able to do anything that didn't involve animals. Right. Well, how did she break into Cora's office? Because there was that protection spell. And Henry had to, what, climb through a vent or yeah. something? At, but Cruella was, like, just sitting in there. And she had changed the office. Was it maybe the same kind of protection spell where only the dead can go in? Oh, could be. Yeah. So did someone have to extend her aura? Well, no, because Cruella... Or is that only necessary dead. because... Cruella is dead, so okay. she could pass through. So Cruella, She's okay. dead because Emma's a murderer, but you know what? Henry is too, because he killed the pen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bob has unfinished business. We've got to find Bob somewhere. <laughs> that was, yeah, that's the best. In Emma's house... In the initial reactions, I expressed some confusion about some of the items that were in Emma's house, but then rewatching it, I got to see these are Emma's baby things, not Emma's baby's things. So it's not implying that Emma is pregnant or that she was supposed to be or once was pregnant. These are Emma's things. It's her baby crib. It's the exact same one from her room. Uh, We see it in season one. It's her mobile, several of the stuffed animals that were sitting around, like the lion, the little bear, the zebra that's on the stairs. Those were all in the baby room back in the castle. But you know what? In season one. It should have been all in the Charming's apartment. Unless this underworld gets regular updates. Because this house was not hers until very recently. True. Like six weeks. And Emma is an embodiment of hope. She represents hope, and Hades hates that. So maybe all along, Hades was kind of manipulating things, wanting Emma to be killed as a baby. But uh, also think about if it wasn't for Emma being the savior, the original curse would not have been broken. And it was because of Emma's parents that the curse was altered with the true love potion. And so if the curse did originally come from Hades, Emma and the Charmings are to blame for the curse not doing what Hades probably intended it to actually do. Mm. He's super creepy. Going 
back to Emma's stuff just for a second here and the length of time that it's been down there. Not even necessarily in the house, but how long has it just been in the underworld? If the underworld, I would assume, is kind of very, very ancient and old because it's where dead people go. But the wardrobe, for example, was around until season two, episode three, Lady of the Lake, when Korra bursted into flames. So, I mean, did it did it get poofed up and then just go to the underworld and hang out in this house that wasn't really Emma's house until now. These are kind of these mechanics of the world that right. I just don't understand yeah. still. He, I almost wonder at this point if we're going to find out that it didn't appear like Storybrooke until they arrived. But you would think Rumple again would have said something. But then again, he doesn't because... seem to be very forthcoming. He's pretty dismissive of yeah. everything. I mean, questions are pointless. <laughs> Because in that second season episode, at the very end of that tearful moment between Mary Margaret and Emma, doesn't she, Mary Margaret hug some kind of stuffed animal? Like, isn't there something that she, you know, looks around the baby room and we kind of see it as it was supposed to be and she hugs something and then kind of walks out? And as far as we know, nothing in that castle has been destroyed since, right? Right. Because they were... In the Enchanted Forest recently, last arc, it's it's still there. Yeah. I mean, there's stuff that's broken that's there. There's stuff that's not broken that's there. Well, and it goes back to, I forget which of our podcast episodes we theorized this, but maybe the underworld is somewhat of a copy of these things. So it's not that something moves from one realm to the underworld, but it's copied. Like we see the marionette dolls in there, which were the the couple villagers that uh, Jiminy Cricket accidentally turned into marionette dolls using Rumpel's potion. And those were in there, but we've always seen those back in Storybrooke too. Right. And they are people though, and they do have unfinished business. So that one, that's maybe the possible exception here, but we have seen other things too. So is it just things with souls that quote, you know, souls quote, go to Underbrook? I think it's, Things of significance connected to people. So for Rumple, look at what was in the shop. It was the teacup. It was the marionette dolls. It was other items of significance to Rumple. Hook's hand was in the shop. No. Yeah. So what did they think was going to happen with this whole heart splitting thing? Maybe we should talk about that when we get to the heart. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm thinking copies and I'm thinking, so clearly they're corpses are back in the real world mm -hmm. so were they are they just representations down in the underworld or have their bodies actually been copied as well speaking of copies so that would be that's my question related that's, to that whole right. theory yeah because everybody is tangible we've seen several hugs at this point right. yeah. i mean these aren't ephemeral ghosts wandering around they they do things like make dinner and drink coffee and so yeah, it's one of those things that I kind of wish they'd explain a little bit more. Yeah, but you know what? As Rumpel said, your questions are pointless. <laughs> there comes a point where we have to stop overthinking things. Unfortunately, aww. I love that we got a Bambi reference. <laughs> Bambi's iconic dead mother. <laughs> Guys, let's keep Cruella forever. <laughs> she does have great lines. 
But it is nice to have some rules about the world. Like we were just kind of moaning about how little we knew. Cruella actually sets out three nice rules for us to know in the future. Yeah. About the gravestones. So to be stone, happy person. (laughs) 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 And what was the bad one? Was it inscribed? If it's cracked. Cracked? Yeah. I couldn't understand what she said either time. And I thought, well, what would they inscribe it with? And why is that so bad? Cracked. So I assume we're going to see a cracked one at some point. Yeah. But she also said that no one who's anyone goes to that worst place anymore. What does that even mean? Well, it tells me that Hades is collecting all of these bad people and he doesn't want them to move on. He doesn't want them to go to the worst place because there's someone who's someone. And he wants them there in his little domain working for him in some way. And speaking of that, I suppose he, I mean, as bad as Cora is, he acts like she wasn't someone. He just refers to her as the Miller's daughter. He made her into the Miller's daughter again, which really, I mean, he gave her tattered clothes, dirt, and a cart that I guess she has to push. But I kind of wondered why she took it with her when she left. Where did she go? Why is Cruella the mayor? Why do they think she left? She just had a change of wardrobe. I don't, and I don't know how she got that cart in the elevator. Maybe she's still down there somewhere. Yeah, I think she's down there doing some meaningless task. And probably somewhere else, there's someone moving a mountain of sand from one pile to another pile with tweezers. Yeah. And I think they might need a special car or maybe a toll booth. Yeah. And uh, just remember, all boys are guilty. And (laughs) (laughs) I think we're referencing the same really obscure old movie. (laughs) The Phantom Toll Booth. Crazy movie. Watch it sometime. (laughs) But the other thing that could be happening is maybe Hades communicated to Cruella, Cora's gone, so you're the new mayor. How does he communicate? Does he just pop up and say things? I guess we've seen him do that. Yeah. He's so creepy. Have we seen Hades outside of his area? We've seen um, him in the tunnels. I think that's the farthest away from his yeah, chamber that I we've don't seen him. Think we've, yeah, I don't think we've seen him in the upper underworld. Yeah, he kind of just exists down there and collects souls and wants everything to be just right for him. But he doesn't... He doesn't interact with these dead people unless he is forced to. Going back under the underworld, Emma, Rumpel, and Mila are on the boat to try and save Hook. And that boat was supposedly everyone's way out. I felt like that was a big leap that he just found this boat. Yeah. What what was that? That was strange to me. Perhaps he had a vial of magic. Well, we know now that Hades had been manipulating this. He knew they were down there. This is true. So Hades probably put that boat there for Rumpel and all of them to use. And no one said, hmm, could this be a trap? That's a trap. I I felt very (laughs) uncomfortable on Rumpel's behalf when Emma started sharing news of Neil with Mila. Yes. That she hadn't shared with him. I I mean, maybe there wasn't time, but it felt kind of mean. And she wasn't addressing both of them. She just turned to Mila and was like, your son, who's also his son, uh, is happy. (laughs) 
And Rumpel looked a bit relieved at that, too. Yeah. Yeah, I would have liked Emma to have told Rumpel all of that. You know, there was a time when Emma was really upset with Rumpel back in season two, and he had just been stabbed by Hook's poison hook. And her response, even though, you know, she's upset and kind of angry with him and doesn't know how she feels about this dark one guy, she says, your family, I'll save you. And even with all of this drama that has happened in the past arc and everything that these two have been through, he's still family. And I kind of would have liked to see this moment where she acknowledges that he has done terrible things, but that he does have this pain in his heart from losing his child. So maybe we'd say, hey, guess what? Your child doing okay. It would have been a right. really nice moment because this was a really nice moment between Emma and Mila. But think of how much more special it would have been between Emma and Rumpel and all of that history that is between them. Yeah. But then, I mean, to play <laughs> way, no pun intended, devil's advocate for a moment, <laughs> they they always make it hard to remember the timeline She's been not a dark one for less than a day, and he, that whole thing was supposed to be over and done with, and he took it back. Yeah. So I suppose she has some reason to be pretty upset, but they just aren't really addressing it much. She can be totally upset. That's fine, but it's still family at the end of the day. And isn't that kind of what this show is about? You know, we have all this history and this drama between these characters, and maybe some days you don't like them very much, but they're still family. Except Hook. I mean, well, maybe you accept Hook, except <laughs> Rumble. Just kidding. I don't know. It, it's so confusing at this point because I know where I was on all these characters at the end of the winter or at the beginning of the winter. And now it feels very different just because of the context. I mean, I was pretty done with Hook as well. I mean, he seemed over very little to despise Emma. Yeah. Just completely hate her and want to cause her pain under the same circumstances where she did not do that to him. It's very confusing. Yeah. And we've certainly tried to explain that and understand that before. But it was nice to see that they got this little reunion as he was <laughs> let off the hook. Bah! Ha! 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 She saved him from being... A mindless, tortured <laughs> husk again, like he was just yesterday. <laughs> um, did anyone else notice some of the parallels between this and episode 306, Ariel? Oh, explain. Emma has to cross a bridge to get to her trapped slash encaged lover. She did the same Ooh. thing with Neil. <laughs> and then oh, there was boy. even a hug. <laughs> Oh, boy. No, I'm not trying to start anything. Fandom, do not send me stuff. <laughs> 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 but it was um, it was a, a little too easy. Yes? Yeah, because Hades was wanting this to happen. Yeah. That so, part, too? I think so. Hmm. I think he wanted all of this to happen the way it was happening. He let it happen. Maybe. Hmm. But why? He seems to have so much fun torturing Hook. Yeah, but he could have put Hook in solitary confinement anywhere else. Why in this place, separated from the chamber and easily accessible from Emma's house? And he's already done all that creative beating, so I guess he's had his fun. And he wanted Rumple down there. Yes. Yeah, that's true. So I think it was all manipulation to get Rumple separated so that he could talk to him, except Mila was there. Maybe that was unanticipated collateral damage to him 
But it's really disappointing to see that after Mila comes to this realization of her selfishness and what she did and how she wants to make things right and all of this stuff, that then she's now lost forever. I Was this unexpected to others? Yes. I don't know why. I mean, I just, I didn't see it coming. It was one of the few moments that really just got to me in a long time. Yeah. I really wanted to see Mila and Hook meet again. And you could see and hear it in Hook's voice, just that, that, I don't know how to describe it, but he loved Mila. He never stopped loving Mila because they didn't break up. Mila was torn from him. Yeah. He did love her, mm-hmm. even though she was another man's wife, and he never got to see her again. And even here in the underworld, when he had that chance, you can hear the pain in his voice. Yeah, I think that was a bit of a missed opportunity on the writer's part. I know why they did it, or at least I think I know why they did it. It would have presented the awkward situation of, okay, so this is the woman that I've never, ever stopped loving. Oh, hey, I was just rescued by this woman that I'm now in love with. And, you know, Haha, you two met. That's great. Huh. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it would have been nice to see those two together again. So you could really see the full weight of how they felt about each other. Yeah. I, like I said, I'm not so sure that we won't see her again. I just don't know if she'll be, well, I suppose it'd be kind of ridiculous to see her confused and awful and not see her be brought back from that. So I don't know. We may still get it. She may just be gone. I I think she's gone. But Jacqueline, that's not the thing that really touched you the most about this section. What was it? Yeah, so this great conversation between Mila and Rumpel, and Mila admits that she was selfish and that her unfinished business is Balefire, and she really wants his forgiveness. And I thought that was really, really sweet. And then Rumpel starts explaining how Balefire forgave him, you know, how they met up again in Manhattan, and they it, – it wasn't easy, but they came to, I guess, an understanding, and – this beautiful line from Rumpel and God bless Bobby Carlisle. Uh-huh. He just says, tell him hi from his papa. Mm-hmm. And anytime something about Neil and Rumpel happen on screen, I tend to get very, very emotional <laughs> as many people probably know. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I kind of cried a little bit. I thought it was just this really beautiful moment. <laughs> it was. Yeah. So when Hades takes Rumpel away for a little bit, do you think that Hades' mention of rival was a Freudian slip? Was he actually thinking of Rumpel as a rival or as a supplier? Mm, I don't know. Rival for what, though? Like his throne? His kingdom? Because they did yeah. very interestingly put Rumpel in Hades' throne yeah. while this entire conversation was going on, which I thought was a really interesting direction. That's scary. Um, He did mention the throne, actually. Did he? I believe so. Hot throne, I believe he called it. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Maybe Hades sees Rumpel as a rival because Rumpel has now all of the Dark One power. And maybe in some way that goblet, if it was from Olympus, that goblet was something that Hades wanted to drink from to get all of that power. 
Hmm. And he sees now Rumple got it. And Instead, it's... all he got was a bad hair tonic. <laughs> <laughs> so then are there limits to divine power? Because, yes, Rumple has all the powers of the dark ones, but Hades is still being called a god. And, you know, a couple things about gods. They tend to be omnipotent, omniscient. So, yeah, it's a funny line, that rival one. I wonder, crazy theory here, if maybe what we'll see is Rumple will defeat Hades in some way, and then Rumple will become the lord of the underworld. It'd be a fitting place for him. I suppose it's awful, though. Especially since Belle's pregnant. Yeah, I, I wouldn't see Rumple actually doing that. Yeah, that would be bleak. Even for a character who I think a lot of people struggle with at this point to see as redeemed. Mm. That's yeah. that's bleak it's because it involves other people, because now it involves two other people. I hope that's not his way, though, of taking over the contract so that he's owed his own son or daughter. Right. Like, yeah. depending, like, if he finds a loophole and the Lord of the Underworld is who the debt is owed to, not specifically Hades, then he could try to take his place. Yeah, that would be weird. But it would be a loophole, and it would be already hinted at, so it could be the direction that his character is going to take. I just hope not. Well, this conversation is convincing enough to get Rumple back into his nasty habits that he didn't really leave all that much, but now he's just... picking his nose was disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Now he's inspired with the new thing, and he said that He's a man who takes what he needs just before this whole Stella moment. Oh, good grief. This is, I mean, this was, it was so awful. And at first, I didn't really understand the the screaming of her name because it seemed desperate. Like he almost, she started yelling and then he started yelling and like he didn't mean to knock her back. But now I realize it was part of the ruse. Yeah. They needed to hear him yell like that. It drowned her out, and it made it sound convincing. So he meant to do that when he walked out there. Right. And there was a little bit of remorse on his face. There was. But then that resolved that this is just what he needs to get what he wants. But not enough. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, I kind of, the only thing I have to say really is what I said back in the past, which is that I don't like that he's going around killing people. But it does bring his story back to one about being a father who will do anything. Yeah. And it's that question, what, where do we draw the line when it's a parent and their child? He is still very much the desperate soul that he always has been. And in fact, uh, Steph sent in this great feedback. Hello, my name is Steph, also known as Mr. Kid. After 5 A's finale, there was much lamenting on the Rumbell ship that Rumble would never change or learn. I hope in, I'm in time for this podcast. It would be easy to miss, given the excellent summing up written for him, that when White Rumple stumbles from his bonds in Dreamcatcher, Dark Emma lacks even the slightest impulse to break his fall. Likewise, Mr. Gold shows no pity in Swan Song toward Emma when she is drawn to his shop like an addict called to his magical drug stash. There is no empathy, not a hint of remorse, even as he admits to his secret triumph at Hook's expense. But you can't miss how in Devils Do, it is not a cold calculation, but desperation that casts Mila into the river of lost souls. Rumple may be the man Mila made of him, but he is also the desperate soul his father created. Balefire and Bell could silence the inner voices and impulses of Rumple's dark one, but they could only make worse his fear of being abandoned, 
and his fear of losing those he loves. The unforeseen consequences of making yet another disastrous deal he didn't fully understand has indeed replaced Rumpel's usual dark confidence with very obvious fear and regret. But it remains to be seen whether he can learn from this mistake when he never has before. My theory is that his father, Pan's unfinished business, is Rumpel. If and when they both realize what might be both their salvations, it would be quite a learning experience for both of them and enjoyable for us. Great feedback, Steph. Thank mm-hmm. you very much for sending that in. I agree with everything Steph just said. <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons I liked this episode so much was just it felt like for just this this brief hour of my life, my rumple was back because I haven't <laughs> known what to do with him for about a year now. And like I'm just watching him. I'm going, that's it. That's the really complicated, morally gray terrible guy but who has these unbelievably human motivations Mm. so yeah i Mm -hmm. agree with everything that she just said while this is happening regina and snow white find daniel's gravestone which was really a nice touching moment yes there's a lot of history in this moment and for me it was really impactful it's it feels so right that snow white is there with regina to Mm -hmm. say goodbye to daniel yeah and that there's no bitterness there. Yeah. It's right. friendship. It's yeah. helping each other move on. Mm. Did you guys notice his last name? Not to make this beautiful moment into something of a joke, but did you <laughs> notice his last name? Coulter. Right. Yeah. I thought that was cute. <laughs> and speaking of cults, we saw the horse next. Oh. Now, that horse <laughs> that apparently has some unfinished business. What? All horses go to... The underworld? <laughs> I don't know. Yes. What was this horse? Well, I don't know weird. quite what this is, but maybe it is actually Regina's horse <gasps> from whom she ripped the heart out when she tried to cast the dark curse. Do you think the people of Underbrook beat it? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, that's literally the dead horse and they've been beating it. <laughs> Oh like we gosh. do with the podcast over and over and over. <laughs> oh, nice. I think they intend it to be Regina's horse. But why wouldn't Regina be like, that's my horse? I think she did recognize it once it stood up because she was recognizing that. But by then it was awkward because she didn't really recognize it at first. And she was like, I... I'm sorry I didn't recognize you. Just be free. Be alive, but dead too. It's she healed a dead horse. I don't understand. It's still dead. Well, you can heal a dead horse to water, but can you make it drink? Wait. Oh, God. <laughs> as long as it's not from any of those rivers underneath. I do think this is supposed to be Regina's horse. It's not actually exactly the same as the horse that we see Regina riding in the Stable Boy episode. But... It's so close in similarity, I think they intend it to be the same because it has it's brown with the white stripe down the middle. It's left front and rear right feet have white socks on them, which is the same as her horse in the stable boy. The difference, though, that makes me think this definitely is not the same horse just they didn't cast the same horse is the stripe on the front is significantly different on the left side. Yes. But we'll have some screenshots in the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash two thirty five if you want to see these. But it, it could make sense that it's 
her horse because this is probably the one and only horse in all of history that has unfinished business (laughs) (laughs) because its heart was pulled out to unsuccessfully enact a curse. Right. Well, so this part was definitely odd. And when it was happening, I was kind of mystified as to why I was watching Regina save a dead horse. But um, (laughs) do you guys think that people who have moved on to the better place can affect reality in Underbrook? Because I was thinking about this symbolically. And I mean, they've just come from Daniel's grave, who was the stable boy. And obviously, he and the horse and Regina are very connected in, in their story. And I was thinking that this was sort of a gift from Daniel, who knows that Regina is currently unable to perform certain magic, that things are going bad for her. He hears her. He he hears this outpoint of love, but that she's happy and that she'll always love him or whatever. And so he kind of sends this little gift, this this horse that is clearly meant to represent her past horse and her past with him, and she heals it, and suddenly her magic is better. Hmm. It's kind of overly sappy, but that's how I looked at it. Yeah. Most things they do regarding Daniel are overly sappy, though, at this point. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Well, not the whole I'm a zombie and I'm trying to kill you thing. That wasn't really sappy. It's a really good question. I think it's a good question. But then again... Rumpel. Your questions are pointless. Yeah. Apparently doesn't. Maybe they hoped we'd talk and talk about the scene so that they could all just be like, they are actually beating the dead. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So let's move on from that. <laughs> at least they didn't jump over it. Yeah. And at least this time they regrouped at Emma's house, not Granny's, which is the usual traditional debriefing room. Right. It's just awkward right now. Yeah. And they did have to do some awkward editing because they never said she died but robin did say something about i'm sorry you lost her right so they did edit some stuff out here maybe edited the order so if you were confused by that yes there's stuff missing in some of the ways that they communicate or maybe in the wrong order or did robin simply know who went with them i don't think he knew i don't think anyone knew they didn't know who the helpful dead person was right (laughs) the helpful dead (laughs) <laughs> it's a new band coming out. <laughs> or a new AMC series. <laughs> so I am really confused about Emma's heart. Mm-hmm. So is she. <laughs> Back in season two, the Queen of Hearts, we have that really beautiful, powerful moment where Emma expels Cora, who's reaching inside Emma's chest, with her power of true love. And, you know, it's the famous Care Bear stare. Everybody loves it. But why can't, not only why can't Regina even get inside Emma's chest, but shouldn't Snow and Emma know that even without knowing what Hades has done, that this isn't going to work? Yeah, it <laughs> that you can't remove the heart. Question that was asked, yes. at least for Regina to sort of hand wave away. I think it goes back to what Aaron and I talked about in the initial reactions. Maybe Emma can allow her heart to be taken. But I don't, but she's never tested that. So I don't see how she would know that she should have at least said out loud at some point, even if it was a two second conversation, wait, can my heart even be removed? Yes, I agree. We've been trying to rationalize this a little bit and delay. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing that 
did send in a little bit of feedback, which is, I'm not sure how many Dungeons and Dragons players there are, but I mm-hmm. was working on the assumption that Emma's heart protection functions somewhat like the spell resistance mechanic in that game. Spell resistance in the game works like this. You always have a level of protection against magic being used against you, but you can choose to lower your protection temporarily to allow for helpful magic to be used on you. The disadvantage is that the protection is very much either on or off, so removing the barrier even for a moment leaves you vulnerable to dangerous magics. I was thinking that the plot could have gone with Emma lowering her protection only for Hades or someone to swoop in and attack while the opening existed. Yeah, I think that's the way it works, but I don't think Hades is aware of everything happening in Storybrooke. He might not even know that this is the plan and might not know what they're doing in this moment. So it's not like he's just standing by waiting for the protection spell to be lowered so that he can take her heart or do something worse. Right. Yeah. But it's like Jeremy said, it kind of needed to be a conversation. Like either Emma says, okay, we all know my heart can't be removed. So therefore I am lowering my barriers. Now, Regina, you can try this. Or it should have been like Jeremy said, a question of can we even do this? Because she seems to really believe back in season 5A at the very end that she can definitely remove her heart, split it into two and give it to Hook. I like how the whole thing has this air every time she talks about it of being like, it's almost like she's like, this is my cockamamie plan. This time I simply came up with a magical concept out of thin air and I think it's a good idea. Like he even says, Hook goes, heart split. She's like, it's a good plan. And she's the only one at all who said that it's a good plan. Someone said it could work, but that's it. She's the only one who talks about doing this. It's like everybody else is standing in the back going, Oh, she's talking about the heart split again. we got to come up with something else before she tries it. Now, before we talk about this last scene, I want to remind you how you can send us your feedback if you have feedback for the episodes and your theories, special Easter eggs that you notice, like text that you see. Please don't assume that we'll catch everything or that we'll see everything on the screen. So feel free to send us something, or even if you don't have the ability to capture a screenshot, you can still say, hey, at such and such time in the episode or in this particular scene, there's this moment where you can see this kind of thing. Or send us your theories, your thoughts, what you think is going on, your predictions for the show. You can get all of our contact information at oncepodcast.com slash contact Or just contact us directly, email us, feedback at oncepodcast.com, call and leave a voicemail at 903-231-2221, just like Steph did. Or you can send a voice message through the website at oncepodcast.com. And again, all that contact information is on the website as well as in the show notes for this episode at oncepodcast.com slash 235. We will be doing our initial reactions live on this Sunday, even though it will be Easter or Resurrection Sunday. So Uh, We'll still be doing the podcast then and hope that you'll still be able to join us if it doesn't interrupt any of your other family plans. But that's at 9.15 Eastern Time at oncepodcast.com slash live. And our full discussions are on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time at oncepodcast.com slash live. Now we have this last scene. Hades uh, has brought Rumpel back down again. And they talk about the contract thing. Hades reveals that he knows that Belle is pregnant and there's this transfer of contract. And Joel sent in this great feedback. He said, I'm an attorney 
And I just wanted to leave you a quick note. It's never good to start reading an email that says, I'm an attorney. <laughs> Last time that happened to me, I panicked. <laughs> but Joel said, I am an attorney, and I just wanted to leave you a quick note about contracts and their enforceability after the death of a party. Now, obviously, in the show, we are dealing with contracts such as an unborn child being sold, which have no place for legitimate discussion on enforceability. So once we can get past the absolute unconscionable reason why the contract is being entered into, for the purposes of this discussion on underworld contract, the logic behind Hades' argument that he now owns the debt is logically and legally sound. Generally speaking... The death of a party does not void a contract unless the death makes it impossible for the contract to be performed. Just because Rumpel killed the healer does not mean that Rumpel could no longer perform on the deal. Had the roles been reversed and Rumpel been killed, the contract would be void because the contract would have been impossible to perform. The healer's death changes to whom the debt is owed, but it does not take away the debt. Usually, a debt owed to a party who has died can be claimed by the heirs or the estate of the deceased. In this case, the debt was purchased by a third party, Hades. Debts are bought, sold, and transferred all the time. If you have a mortgage with a bank, it has probably been sold off to another bank at least once, if not several times, without your consent. Hades is a collector, a collector of souls. I find it clever that he is also now a debt collector. I am well aware that the writers of a show about fairy tales could care less about the fine details of a contract as it relates to the law in the real world, but I just wanted to point out what Hades did makes logical sense. Thank you very much, Joel, for that great professional uh, feedback. That's really interesting what Joel just said, because I think that the idea that Hades had more or less bought this deal was kind of foreshadowed a bit in what he was reading. When Rumpel walks into the room, he's reading a book and someone got a quick screenshot of it. Um, he's reading Faust, which there have been a couple different versions. It's a German legend. Um, you have a story by Christopher Marlowe, but the most famous version is by the German Goethe. And Faust was a scholar who calls on the devil to further his knowledge of magic and science and such. And he ends up trading his soul for a number of years to use this demon Mephistopheles as a servant. And then in the end, Satan owns Faust's soul and, you know, he's going to be damned for all of time. Um, so the fact that Hades is about to bring up this contract with Rumpel and he's reading Faust to me was quite funny. Hmm. Very fitting. Yes. Ah. Sorry, any time Hades can take Rumpel's baby. He's not saying, I want this debt collected on and settled now it's more of a threat i think this is i mean this is one of the creepiest things this is creepier <laughs> than selena trying to take a baby or anybody else because they're it's not like we're dealing with some diluted case of i'm going to be a parent it's just it's so creepy <laughs> yeah it does in a way fit with hades mythology though one of the most famous stories and i brought this up a little bit earlier is of Hades and Persephone. Um, he comes up, he captures Persephone, who's a maiden, takes her down to the underworld. Her parent, her parent in this case, um, spends 
a huge amount of time looking for her lost child. She finally finds her, but it's too late. Persephone has eaten the pomegranate seed. Euphemism. Mm -hmm. And the deal is now that Persephone has to spend six months out of the year in the underworld as queen to Hades, and that's why there's winter. Mm. And when she comes back, (laughs) it's spring and summer. Well, all right then. But that would mean that Belle's going to have to give birth pretty quickly. And there's a theory on that. Meredith said, now that Rumpel's baby has been conceived, it's unlikely that Hades will be content to wait nine months for the baby to arrive. <laughs> Since we know that they wrote in Emily DeRaven's pregnancy, that means that at some point it will be sped up so that the Hades arc will be done by the end of the season. So I believe that Hades will offer Zelina the chance to travel back to Storybrooke if she does something for him. Disguised as Granny, feed Belle the magic onion rings that sped up her own pregnancy and deliver Belle and the baby down to the underworld where Hades can hold them hostage. Watch out for the magic onion rings. Terrible and hilarious. They can just onion ring a baby anytime they need to. Well, Zelina did say, you haven't seen the last of me. True. Do you think they will speed up not only Belle's pregnancy, but the age of the child? I don't know. Depends on the significance of the baby. Yeah. Is this baby magical somehow? Is it magic born? It, it, unlike Neil, Neil was just influenced by the presence of magic. Yeah. This ma- baby is born the offspring of the dark one. And in fact, not just a dark one, most likely, if our theories were true, most likely conceived from the darkest of all dark ones and the power of all of the dark ones. Mm-hmm. This show's getting really depressing all of a sudden. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's something that's a little depressing to go along with that. If it turns out that season six is the last, which a lot of people have kind of predicted, it would be a bookend to season one where you have basically Rumple spending all this time doing something so that he can find his child. What if season six is all about the search for this new child to close out the show, but now this time Rumpel doesn't have to do it alone? Hmm. It could be interesting depending on where the child is. Yeah. Because one would think at one time they could have just said, oh, well, now this child is in the Enchanted Forest and you have to get back to a land with magic. But they are so far from that being any kind of a meaningful story. I mean, they've been back several times. It's like, you can't just do that. So I don't know where they would go with that. But it's a good thought. Maybe the moon. They do certainly (laughs) recycle. The man Uh, in the moon is real, guys. And it's the Rumbell baby. (laughs) Aged so far that it became a planet. Well, this concludes our discussion of this episode on such a wonderful note. You know, we did have an episode. I think some of the things I just say could be part of that game show you're talking about later. But we did just have an episode. Yeah, definitely. We had an episode, remember, called Child of the Moon. So maybe your theory isn't that far off. Maybe not. Ruby finally returns. (laughs) 
So you can continue the conversation about this episode in two places. One, by going to the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 235. While you're there, actually, even if you don't want to comment on this episode, please go there to the show notes to share this episode out. Tweet it, Facebook it, Google Plus it, Pinterest it, Reddit it, it, whatever you prefer. Please go to oncepodcast.com slash 235 to share this episode with your family, friends, affiliates, coworkers, anyone you hear might be interested in Once Upon a Time. Your because pets. that's what can help the show grow. Dead horses. The best. And make sure that your pets don't have any unfinished business. The moon. So when you tell them to go outside and do their business, make sure they finish. <laughs> Otherwise... It creates a whole new kind of underworld in your house. <laughs> yep. You should see the mess they'll leave for you. <laughs> it all goes for full circle. <laughs> the other way you can continue this conversation about this episode is by joining our forums over at oncepodcast.com slash forums. There are great conversations happening over there. Spoilers are shared in appropriate sections. They're shared as soon as they're discovered. I'm amazed how quickly some of the spoilers make it to the forums and the conversation starts happening around things. And there's a live chat room over there where you can chat about the spoilers too. All of that is available on our website and it's linked from the show notes at oncepodcast.com slash 235. Please remember to send us your feedback about the upcoming episode of Once Upon a Time and join us for the live initial reactions if you're able to. Otherwise, we'll look forward to seeing your theories soon and hopefully seeing you in a live show at some point. Please connect with us on Twitter at Once Podcast and each of us individually. I'm Daniel J. Lewis on Twitter at The Ramen Noodle. I'm Jeremy Laughlin on Twitter at Fleegon. That's P-H-L-E-G-O-N. I'm Jacqueline and I'm on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. This podcast would not be possible without our great team of volunteers who make episode after episode a reality with us and for us. So special thanks to Corbin for sorting our feedback, Jack for writing our show notes, John Buchanan for editing our episodes, Hunter Hathaway and Jacqueline for providing our spoilers. You'll hear from them in just a moment. Jacqueline and Matthew Paul moderating the forums, Keb managing our timeline, and Thanks to my fellow co-hosts, Jeremy, Aaron, Hunter, and Jacqueline, having these great, long, in-depth conversations with me about Once Upon a Time. And thank you for listening. You can run back to protecting the dead children now. Once Podcast is a proud member of Noodle Mix Network. Find more of our award-winning and award-nominated podcasts to make you think, laugh, and succeed at noodle.mx. Big thanks to our heroes for making this episode of the podcast possible. If you would like to support the podcast and see it continue and enable us to do bigger, better things, then please go to oncepodcast.com slash hero. And thank you for your support. Hi, Oncers. I'm Hunter Hathaway. And I'm Jacqueline. And it's spoiler time for Once Podcast, episode 515, The Brothers Jones. Finally reunited, Hook and Emma must find a way to defeat Hades so that they can return to Storybrooke with Snow, David, Regina, Robin, Henry, and Gold. A surprise visit from Hook's departed brother, Liam, just might provide the lead they were looking for. Others who have tried to overthrow Hades spoke of a book that contained the key to his downfall. Tired of watching from the sidelines, Henry secretly takes matters into his own hands while others search for the book. 
Meanwhile, Hades redoubles his efforts to trap the heroes in the underworld by playing them against one another. In flashbacks, the bond between the two young Jones brothers is tested and strengthened on a merchant ship headed into a dangerous storm. This episode is written by Jerome Schwartz and David H. Goodman and directed by Eagle Eggleson. I'm going to guess that's right. It sounded good to me. He's a new director, isn't he? He is. He was the, like, Nordic guy they brought down. They were a bunch of pictures with the cast and Eagle back when they were shooting this episode. Okay. And so we got a couple, quite a few guest stars. We've got Bernard Curry as Liam Jones, Victoria Smurfit as Cruella DeVille, Timothy Weber as The Apprentice. We haven't seen him in a while. Coates Mandalore as Captain Silver and Craig German as Hades. Yeah, so definitely some surprises. We knew, of course, that Bernard Curry was back as Liam. We <laughs> had pictures of him on set, and the title of the episode kind of gives it away, of course. Yes. Um, I'm really surprised about Timothy Weber as The Apprentice, actually. Me too, because I wasn't realizing that. And then I was typing the guest stars, and I'm like, wait a minute, The Apprentice is back in this one? Yeah. And we had we had already been told about Captain Silver. Yes. So that wasn't a surprise for me. So, of course, we have a promo. Mm-hmm. And the promo talk opens with Hook talking about that this is the day the mutiny begins. I couldn't tell if that was a flashback or present day because either he's been cleaned up and isn't bloody or this is a flashback because I think the event's in the flashback, are going to be about a mutiny as well. Right. I I could not tell either because when we get to photos, there's like one – it looks like it's the same scene and like right after – like he's very bloody and then right away he's clean. Yeah. So I don't know if it's after that or – It does flash to hook on a ship in the middle of a storm leading sailors. So we will be seeing – lieutenant or maybe i don't even know if he is a lieutenant at this point i have a feeling that this mutiny against captain silver is what makes liam a captain and hook a lieutenant so he may just be a deckhand or something at this point he could be a commander okay an admiral i'm just throwing out navy terms here (laughs) so we also see liam in the underworld um welcoming hook and I want to know it. Do, th- there's no clue about this. I want to know if Hook is going to tell him about Liam too. Right. So there's no indication in the promo, but I'm going to say no. But that'd be just really fun. Piss right. But would the writers remember little Liam too that they Introduced abandoned him? and orphaned in <laughs> the span of about 20 seconds? <laughs> but interestingly, Liam doesn't like Emma. Because according to Emma, Liam doesn't think she is good enough for Hook. Yeah, that's that's weird to me. Yeah, I'm not sure why. Like, what would lead him to believe that? I don't know. Guess we have to watch the episode. True. <laughs> and then <laughs> the <laughs> thanks, Hunter. So the the <laughs> promo, of course, has to build the drama, and it talks about how it could rip these two lovers apart. The lovers being Hook and Emma. Yeah, and then he made a comment about why bring me back if I'm just going to move on. Yes. So it kind of sounds like um, Hook maybe isn't too thrilled about what Emma's doing or he wants to move on. I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch. Yes. 
very interesting. But we did get a sneak peek. We did. <laughs> and wow. I'm I, Wow. I was very shocked when I saw the sneak peek. And if you haven't seen it yet, you need to go online and watch this. I was both horrified and amused. Right? Yeah. Me too. Okay. So it starts with David and Snow. They're headed to the sheriff's office. Or they're in the sheriff's office. And his brother, his evil twin brother, James, is on patrol. And um, they're looking for a key. Snow finds a key in the top drawer of the desk, just where David would keep it in Storybrooke. And then he made that funny comment about, did he and his brother kiss the same? Yeah. It was, like, funny, but it wasn't at the same time. It's uncomfortable at the same time. (laughs) Yeah. But he doesn't want to know about it. He doesn't – he got cut off and Snow gives him this, like, wretched look, like, shut up type thing. So the key kind of looks like the sorcerer's hat, and that's when I'm like, oh, yeah, the apprentice is in this episode. So Cruella shows up, and David pretends to be his brother James, because she's calling for James, of course. She walks in with two champagne glasses and a bottle of champagne. Yeah, and that's where it gets... It gets very weird. Very weird. (laughs) So it's very obvious that Cruella and James have something going on. Yes. Because she does kiss him. Uh huh. And makes a comment about, do you want the champagne or me or something like that? Yeah. Which would you like to try first, the champagne or me? And it's just, it's one just, of those moments where you just go, what am I watching? <laughs> when did this happen? Like, why did this happen? Like, ew. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely an interesting moment between those two. <laughs> Cruella is a cougar. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. (laughs) Yep. (sighs) Okay, so then we got a whole bunch of photos, and they didn't really tell you much. No, they're kind of divided up between different plot points. So you have some of Cruella with Henry, and then Henry with The Apprentice, and they're in the woods. Um, So I think they're probably talking about the quill, and this is Henry's mission to figure out if he can do something with the pen to bring everybody back. He has to find the pen as well. So go talk to the apprentice. Oh, you know what I was just thinking? The pen is technically dead, so it could be in the underworld. Right. I think that's what Cruella implied like two episodes ago or so, where she's like, we have to go find this thing. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I don't know what it is. It just hit me. (laughs) (laughs) And then we do have some of Emma and Hook, and they are in Emma's house. Okay, that is her house. It is. And the reason why it looks so funny is you see all the nursery stuff, but we did see in this past episode that a lot of that stuff came to Underbrook. Okay. The thing that got me is that the door to the outside is right there. Like, you open the door and there's all the nursery stuff. Like, first of all, no one would do that. (laughs) So, like, it just, it was weird to me. Yeah, because the you see the wardrobe and you see the crib and you see basically Pooh Bear and Tigger are sitting right in front of the crib. It's weird. Yeah, but Liam then joins them because you see Emma Hook and Liam sitting around what I presume is her kitchen table. Mm-hmm. I would think so. And then there are some individual shots of Hook and Emma together. Yes, and that was where you see Hook all beat up, and then like it looks like it could be thirty seconds later he's clean. And then there is 
a single shot of Hades talking with Liam in a bar. It looks like Liam might work in the bar. Yeah, it looks like that to me. So, yeah, like I said, there wasn't a lot, but there was lots of different plot points. Mm -hmm. We did get a script tease. Yay. Which, you know, our favorite things. Because you love our acting. Mm Mm-hmm. So our this dramatic one, readings. It is our dramatic reading. So this one's between Emma and Hook. Yes. And who would you like to be? I'm gonna have to go with Emma, I think. Okay. I'll read the direction too then. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Sit down. Let me look at you. Hook takes his eyes off the nursery, sits down painfully, face bruised and swollen. Are you sure you want to? Hades sort of knocked the handsome out of me. No one's that powerful. (laughs) (laughs) And scene. Oh, that was just funny. It's a very hook line to say, but I didn't do it any justice. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's okay. They're not here for our professional acting abilities. I know. Clearly. (laughs) Yeah. So they're sitting on the couch by the nursery in Emma's house. Right, so she probably does do her hand-wavy magic and cleans him up so he's not looking like he's been Cerberus's chew toy. Yes. And for this episode, that's all we really have. Yeah. They are still filming the finale. They're kind of filming, it sounds like, episode 21, 22, and 23 Bits and pieces simultaneously, and the rumor is it's because of Jenny Goodwin's Zootopia press tour, so they kind of have to keep accommodating a couple different schedules, which makes it hard to figure out where some of these episodes are coming from, these pictures that we have. When we talked last week, we did mention that Rumpel, Henry, and Violet have all found their way to New York City. Yes. Although possibly independent – of each other, it looks like maybe Rumple arrives and then Henry and Violet kind of they get off a bus, is what it looks like. Yes, um, and Regine is there, and so is Emma. Yes, yeah. So it sounds it, it's probably that Regina and Emma go to New York to find Henry. So I'm guessing whatever Henry's doing isn't on the up and up with his mother's. Right. I, that's what I'm going to guess. They are filming in different parts of their set of New York City. Um, They've filmed in the Soho area, and then they were actually in the China district as well very recently. Oh, Chinatown? Chinatown. That's it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what's going on there, but they're back in New York City. Oh, fun. (laughs) They're in New York City in the middle of Canada. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I love when they do that. Because I'm like, wait a minute, that building's actually not there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But then we – so we got the New York stuff. And then we go back to Storybrooke because we have some some new photos from there. Mm -hmm. So we've got Roland and little John saying goodbye to Snow and David. And they walk through that magic door we talked about last week. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) And it looks like Merida does too I don't know if it's a special door Like when you shut the door you can open the door to someplace else Or if Merida's gonna join The Merry Men Well it seems like Dunbrock is only a boat ride away From Camelot which is just a stone's throw Away from the Enchanted Forest (laughs) So she probably Is going back to her people and she's just Taking a bit of a longer route Gotcha 
I do want to point out that it does look like little John is taking Roland away and there's no sign of Robin. Yeah. Obviously, we're keeping pretty close eye on everything that's been going on with these death rumors. I mean, you could try to rationalize this if you wanted, that Robin's just off somewhere else or something. But honestly, guys, I don't think it looks good. No, it's looking more and more like the yeah. death is, is Robin. actually a death. Yeah. But so. for the other shippers out there, <laughs> there might be some <laughs> happier news. Yes. Emma and Hook did some filming together in Storybrooke, and they were holding hands. And there were a couple different takes, it sounds like. Sometimes they kissed, sometimes they didn't, so we don't know which one will actually make it past the editors and into our final episode. But it does look like Emma and Hook are back together. They're doing perfectly fine. So whatever drama is going to happen this week in the Brothers Jones, it's obvious that it gets resolved, I think. Yeah. And he's back from the underworld, so all worked out somehow. Yeah. <laughs> That's really all we have for photos this week. There hasn't been a a lot in other news. The only other thing that I had was that after it was announced that Belle is in fact pregnant on the show, Adam Horowitz and Eddie Kitsis did talk to one of the online magazines about what this means for Rumpel, and the question came up of, has he changed? Has Rumpel changed? And they are very interested in exploring that. They think that this is going to be a very significant plot point for Rumpel. So, you know, if you're a, a Rumbell fan or a, a Rumpel fan, I think it's definitely worth keeping an eye on this year. Yeah. So I think that's all we have. We're we're coming to the end. Um, they're going to stop filming here probably in the next few weeks. And we'll be with nothing. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have the <laughs> weekly stuff. Yeah. But Usually, this show is notorious for spoiling the big finish at the end of every season. If you go back through, you know, they spoiled Snow and Charming reuniting, uh, getting on the boat to Neverland, Rumple killing Pan. The They never spoiled Elsa. That one was left in the dark. Um, but they We did, all kind of knew it anyway, though. They did spoil... Emma in New York City, but no one knew why she was there, and everybody else was in the Enchanted Forest. Those were some fun photos. Um, <laughs> so in the next few weeks, I imagine that Hunter and I will actually maybe figure out what's going on, because we we do have that upcoming mental institution arc. Yeah. That seems to be what's happening next, and I'm starting to wonder if the mental institution is possibly in New York City. It might be. Yeah. I don't know. So just keep listening, guys. Um, that's all we have for you this week. I am Hunter. You can follow me on Twitter at Traveling Pixie. I'm Jacqueline, and you can follow me on Twitter at Punk underscore Bunny underscore 87. Until next time, oncers. Oh.